welcome to the Major League Fantasy Sports Radio Show, brought to you by MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. I am Andrea Lamont, your guest host this week. Uh, I've been in the fantasy industry for quite a few years, been writing about fantasy and talking about fantasy baseball since 2010. Uh, you can find me over at LennyMelnickFantasySports.com, where we do podcasts and write articles and have a little community over there where you can... Uh, talk and debate and argue and do all kinds of things. So that's what I do. Uh, with that being said, I will introduce my co-host of the show. That's Kyle Amore. He's a writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. I'm sure all of you know Kyle. His articles published every Tuesday morning. Welcome, Kyle. Are you with me? I am here. I am here and I am ready to go. Sweet. Tell everybody what you're going to be talking about. Wait. You're going to do an MLB draft breakdown, I hear. I will, yeah. So the next two weeks, uh, me, Brian, or I should say, I will be breaking down the uh, AL and NL Central uh, draft. So uh, starting Tuesday, I will have my article coming out breaking down the AL Central version of the draft. So a lot of a lot of interesting picks. It seemed like this draft, there's so many arms selected. So I don't know if we're seeing a a turning of the page and starting to see teams go toward dynamite or arms, but there's a lot of young arms in here that could reach triple digits uh, with their fastballs. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was necessarily weak in terms of hitting. There wasn't a whole lot of polished collegiate bats out there, but it seemed like a lot of teams are trying to go more towards uh, drafting arms and building their, uh, their, uh, their pitchers for the foreseeable you know, future. Um... It's funny because, well, it's not funny, but it's pretty much nowadays, if you don't throw, like, close to triple digits, then you don't even really get looked at, you know? It's kind of ridiculous, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, see, it's it's interesting because, I don't know, if I was a general manager, I don't know if I can necessarily take a a high school arm with a number one overall pick, which didn't happen this year, didn't happen last year, but, I mean, we've seen it often, like, Mark Appel was, you know, he wasn't a high school pitcher, but he was a collegiate arm. And, I, I mean, pitchers are a dime a dozen. I mean, think about how many pitchers out there that weren't uh, drafted in the first round that we we talk about day in and day out. Yeah, we do see top arms like a Clayton Kershaw and guys like that or Bumgarner that were really high draft picks. But for me, I want to be able to hit the ball. I need guys that can get on base and score runs. And, I mean, there's, there's an ungodly amount of rounds in baseball. And if you can find me a guy – that shows any athleticism that's about 6'2 or taller, I'll get him in the later rounds. If you can throw, show me any kind of movement on that fastball and he has the potential, I don't necessarily think you have to draft the guy early in the rounds to get a guy that's going to be dynamite in the future. So, I mean, I guess it just all goes by uh, your your uh, want and need and your preference, but I, I just I, it just kind of blows my mind when I see pitchers coming off the board that early. I know. They are so um... – it's, they're just really volatile because you never know if they're going to throw their arm out. And with hitters, it's, and also with pitchers, it seems like there's a lot of growth involved. Like uh, they could really become a better pitcher. But as far as hitting goes, you don't see a you know a big power guy turn into a stolen base guy ever. They pretty much have the tools, and then you know it's up to them to continue to get better at them. But with pitching, it seems like they can kind of grow into. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to. Um, a con- they're basically going to have to change whatever they do according to when people start figuring them out at the major league level. That's really where a lot of pitchers can't 
can't hang when the batters to figure them out. So we'll talk about that in a bit because we're going to talk about some prospects today and all that. But let's uh, introduce our guest here. It's Bilal Chandri. He's been with Major League Fantasy Sports for about four years, but he's been playing fantasy sports for all a long time. He's a commissioner, and I know you uh, play in some leagues here with the rest of the guys, probably that crazy league that we always talk about every time I do the show. Uh, welcome, Bilal. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Um, doing well. Uh, very excited to be here on the show. Is there anything talk else some, that I uh, love to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I leave something out? I know that you said that, um, well, you're, we're going to talk about prospects together, and I just wanted to make sure I didn't leave anything out. You've been with the company for four years. This is the first time they've ever coaxed you into being on uh, on the show with them. So lucky you, you get me, a rookie, trying to host the show, and you get to learn from that. But we'll make it work. We're going to talk a lot about some prospects. We're going to talk about what do you think that uh, you should expect out of prospects, uh, things like that. Let's, let's talk about giving some shout-outs because I know Corey loves his shout-outs to some friends and partners in the industry. <laughs> the FSWA Hall of Famer, the legend Lenny Melnick, at LennyMelnickFantasySports.com, and the co-host with Craig Mish on Sirius every Sunday morning from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The FSTA Hall of Famer, Ron Chandler, at RonChandler.com, and Brian Lurz, our dynasty partner and owner of RealDealDynasty.com. Lastly, MajorLeagueFantasySports.com is completely funded by its listeners, league owners, and readers through donations to our, is it Patreon account, patron account? You can donate as little as a dollar per month to help our self-funded growth by clicking on the patron link at the top right side of MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Thank you to all who are contributing, and here we go. We're going to get started today, boys. We're going to talk about... The stats, advanced statistics, right? So everybody talks about how we've become so much smarter than we used to be uh, as far as just analyzing the value of a player and how good he is. We can tell if with using some of these stats, we can kind of tell if they have a bit of bad luck, if, um, you know, the underlying numbers they talk about. We're going to talk about some of those today. We're going to talk about whether or not they're worth uh, investing a bunch of time learning about and calculating up for yourself. We're going to talk about, first I'm going to ask Kyle. Kyle knows a ton about pitching. I'm sure he knows a ton about hitting too, but I know he's a specialist in pitching. So Kyle, I want to ask you first, what stats do you look at when you're trying to analyze a a pitcher? And I just want to throw this out there. I I was I was more towards the hitting side, but I was signed okay. as a pitcher, so I had to do a hell of a lot more research in it, and I think that kind of took over. But, no, I mean, when I'm looking at pitchers, I want guys that don't give up free passes. One one of the most important things I think I learned when I first got to college was do not put guys on base for free. Make them earn it. If they're going to go up there and they want to hit, don't put them on base for free. Don't, you know, don't give them that free pass here and there. Make them work. So, you know, if I'm looking on the waiver wire, A, I want guys that don't walk a lot. I, of course, if I'm looking for guys that can lead the front end of my rotation, I want guys with big arms that can get the strikeouts as well. So that's two things that I, I look for. And of course, your whip. Just I, I, guys, we, I don't, I don't, I don't, mess, I don't want guys that walk guys. I don't want guys that are going to give up hits left and right. Then you run into. For me, there's two types of pitchers. You get guys like your Clayton Kershaw that I mean are just absolutely dynamite. Always have a low whip, have a low ERA. They keep their home runs in check. They get they have good off speed stuff. 
But then you get guys that do have dynamite arms, kind of like your Jeff Samarja. But what's the problem with him? Two pitches. He only has two pitches. He's got a slider. He has a fastball. You're not going to be a starting pitcher very long if you do that. And what do you notice about him? He'll walk guys. He'll give up hits. But the thing that kills him are the home runs. I don't want pitchers that give up home runs if you're going to put guys on base. Home runs kill you when there's other guys on base. Oh, absolutely. They kill you anyway. You should, yeah, definitely want to keep those down. But so what do you think is an acceptable walk rate? So if you're looking at the statistics and you're over there and you see a 3.59 walks per nine, is that okay or where's your standard here? I try to go, I, I mean, I'd say 3.4. Anything under three and a half I can live with. And I understand that you're going to you're gonna walk, guys. It's just you're, very rarely are you going to have a string of starts where you're not going to walk anyone. And, and I think for a starting pitcher, three and a half is fair. Naturally, as we get into your short relievers, not necessarily your long relievers, but your, your uh, shorter relievers, like your seven, eight, nine guys, I don't want guys that put guys on base. I want guys that can go up there and blow guys out and get them, keep them off base. And that's when you definitely get into your effector, uh, your, those kind yeah. of pitchers. So I, it definitely it, it changes when you're talking about your starting pitchers compared to your elite farms. But I think anything less than three and a half is, is phenomenal in my eyes for starting so pitchers. So you, you probably look at the strikeout-to-walk ratio a lot. I think that's one that is pretty uh, popular and well-known. Strikeout-to-walk ratio should be uh, – I don't know, three and a half, the same. It, it should it should be at least. I mean, it should be quite a significant bit uh, bigger than you know your strikeouts should be much bigger than your walk rate, obviously. But do you ever use the strikeout to walk ratio when you're looking at stats? I do, uh, especially when I'm looking for my uh, building my bullpen, especially in your your major league fantasy sports leagues where you're going to have a, a full pitching staff. You're going to have your starters. You're going to have your relievers. And especially when you get into holds and IRS plus holds and stuff like that, I'm definitely looking for your strikeout to walk ratio. I want guys with big arms, especially when they're my my relievers that aren't going to put guys on base. Because you got to remember, not everyone's a closer. Not every reliever is going to come start an inning fresh with no one on base. But the thing is, finding those vital guys that can come in with guys on first, guys on second, guys on third, one or less outs, and, and can get the job done. And let me tell you something. When you're pitching and no one's on base, you are relaxed. It's almost like a hitter that's coming in with guys on base with two outs, bases loaded. When that happens, pressure, pressure galore. Well, these middle relievers that can come in and any 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 kind of uh, uh, guys on on base, it just it changes that na- dynamic of the game. I mean, not only your blood pressure, your heart rate, and everything, but these guys <laughs> that have ice in their veins that can come in there and get them out. Those guys are special. Bilal, who do you what what stats do you like to look at when you're trying to dig deep into a pitcher and try to figure out what's up with them? Um, I agree with Kyle. I uh, strikeouts, walks, those are really the two main things. Um, you know. Uh, you know, same thing. I agree with Kyle. Where a uh, walk ratio under three point five three, that's good. I mean, that allows pitchers to go deep into games. You know, you take an example of someone like Blake Snell. You know, he has, has a tremendous arm, tons of strikeouts, but he, you know, he walks everyone, so he can't go deep into games, pitches four innings, and that's why he's back in the minors right now. So definitely, walks, strikeouts are big. Um, I also look at a ground ball rate for, you know, pitchers like, you know, Dallas Keiko who aren't big strikeout pitchers, but 
have a high ground ball rate, and that tells me, you know, they'll keep the ball in the park. Uh, you know, not, they're not going to give up a lot of home runs, especially guys in parks like in Houston or Miller Park, Coors Field. You want guys with higher ground ball rates so they give up less home runs, and, you know, they're trying to uh, limit the damage that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the ground ball pitcher is, you know, it's becoming a thing. We have all these new stats. Like, I mean, when I first started looking at statistics, it was it was just we had BABIP, of course, but now we have, you know, the hard contact rate, the ground ball. We have all these percentages, swinging strike rate, first pitch strike, all these things. Um, I think the most important ones to think about when a, when you're looking at pitchers is absolutely the strikeout and to walk ratio. If he doesn't strike out a ton of batters, that's fine, as long as he's not walking a ton of batters. So, you know, looking at the ratio rather than just the two separate entities is, is going to give you a bigger, uh, more full picture of the pitcher. I also think that uh, one of the most important things to look at, even more important than like ERA and WHIP, is the hits allowed per nine innings. If he's giving up more hits than one per inning so if his uh, number of hits is bigger than his inning pitched and it's super easy to look up because they're always usually like right next to each other in the stats depending you know pretty much everywhere you look they're always right next to each other they've given up this many hits if it's higher than the innings pitched it's not good it means that he's they're obviously they're giving uh, runners chances to get on base which Kyle already said is not a good idea you know your whole job your ultimate goal is to keep runners off the base paths and so um, I think that you know while everybody's looking at all of these uh, first pitch strike and all that which is fine by the way I mean the more stats more knowledgeable you are the better but if you're just somebody that's not like studying baseball every day of your life and you want to pick a fantasy team and you want to pick guys off the waivers, you need to know what to look at and I think that the ones that we just pretty much hit on are the most important I mean um that's that's pretty much it for people that don't really know that much about. Let's go ahead. There, I mean, there's one more stat. I mean, if you if you really want to dig into it deeper, my my favorite stat to look at after those. I mean, those those are phenomenal. But for me, if I want to take it to a whole nother level, there's one stat I really like to pay attention to when it comes to hitting. But the same Left can be base. said about pitching is not 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 just that, but contact for or. Uh, uh, just the kind of contact they make on the hitters. Like, is it soft contact percentage? How high is that? Medium? Hard? If there's two relievers that I think that really kind of stuck out to me in the past 10 years, one of them's still playing, the role Chapman. If you look at how mm-hmm. hard he throws, you got to remember, too, it is so hard to square up a baseball, and when the ball's coming in about 100, 200 miles an hour, and you have to make great contact and barrel the ball up, if you look at the hard contact percentage against them, it's always, always, always very, very, very small. If you see guys that hit a home run against Oldest Chapman, more times than not, they got lucky. And the other yes, pitcher, I... he's no longer play... – sorry, go ahead. No, no, please finish. Sorry. Is it Mar- other... Mariano Rivera? No, no. The other one, uh, one of my – I mean, yeah, being a Cubs fan, I saw him a lot, but Carlos Marmol, it was, it was just the movement he got on his pitches. His slider was arguably one of the better, best in the game when he was on top of his game. And the thing is, I mean, he had such late break on it, and it just, the bottom would just fall out of the ball by the time it got up there. I mean, it's looking like a strike. Looking at a strike, you get ready to swing, your hips start to move, and then the ball just drops to the ground. And that and just his uh, two-seam fastball he'd throw on the other part of the plate. Guys like that, you will hear, you know, if you've ever – Anyone that's been around the game has heard guys that throw a heavy ball. What that means is a lot of guys throw hard, but by the time the ball reaches the plate, it starts to lose velocity. But if you ever play catch with someone, or if you're listening to someone play catch and you hear that pop of the mitt, 
because some guys have that natural ability on their two-seam fastball where they'll throw it with the movement. It just keeps going. It doesn't stop like a four-seam fastball, and they'll hear that pop of the mitt. So guys like that that have that pop and that movement on their ball, they usually have low uh, hard contact percentage against them, and that's something I like to look at too because if it's hard to square up a ball on it, more times than not, that guy's going to be extremely successful coming out of the bullpen. Okay, so while you were talking, I came up with one more stat that's really easy to look at. It totally is not disregarding the hard contact rate because it's a very interesting statistic. And, you know, if, you are inter- if you're interested and you already know the basic stuff about sabermetrics and all that, definitely look at the hard contact rate for pitchers and hitters. It's very interesting, and it will tell you a lot about uh, the player and what type of player that he is. The one that just came to my mind, like, why didn't I bring up batting average on balls in play? It's, it's something that – you hear constantly on the radio, you hear it, you read about it constantly, and it is a good, like, I'm looking at the pitchers, and the batting average on balls in play, there's two pitchers that have hella low batting average on balls in play, which means that nobody's getting on base. It means that, like, when runners should be getting on base, they're not getting on base. So the fact that they're keeping runners off, off of the base pass is not necessarily because they're great. It's because they're getting unlucky. Like Irvin Santana, he's got a 171 batting average on balls in play. You know that the average batting average on balls in play is 300. It's, it's pretty much the same every year. Ever since I started reading about batting average on balls in play, it has, it's one of the few things that hasn't really changed over the past five or six years. But when you see that – um, the batting average on balls in play is super high, then you might be able to say, okay, the pitcher is probably not, it's probably not all his fault. You know, but runners are getting on base all the time on this poor guy. Like the defense is either really crappy or, um, you know, that. But that's just another one I wanted to throw in there. Um, and so we covered the hard uh, contact rate. That's good one. Good for hitters too. Strikeout ratio, the hits per nine, and – the ground ball percentage, all of those are good statistics for pitchers. Let's talk about hitters now. What statistics do you look at for hitters that, you know, might be able to give you a little more insight but isn't like the crazy um, all day try to calculating this, you know, figuring it out? What's your favorite uh, hitting pile? Um, I mean, yeah, you got your batting average on balls on play. Uh, I mean, if I can take it, uh, just not necessarily your strikeout rate, but just your contact percentage, in, in terms of pitches in the zone, that's when you get into your Z contact percentage, your Z swing percentage, your swing overall swing percentage. I like to see guys that go up there and put together a, a great at-bat, guys that definitely have that discipline. And I mean, that's one of the things I noticed with a young hitter like uh, Gary Sanchez out in New York. I saw him play last summer in Indianapolis, and, I mean, the guy went up there and he wasn't gonna. He, he's not gonna give in to any of the pitcher swings. So just your contact percentage, your patience up at the plate. For me, especially this time of the year, going off the waiver wire, it, it's hard to find a guy that's gonna give you phenomenal production. Yeah, you get guys like Chris Taylor or, or Mancini out there in uh, Baltimore. One thing that I look for, I look for extra base hits. I want guys that can shoot for the gaps. So if you see guys like Jose Altuve or or. Uh, Throwing Mike Trout in there, I mean, he's just a phenomenal ball player. But I'll use yeah. uh, Altuve because he's not a guy that's necessarily going to push 40 home runs consistently. But one thing you notice about him, high average. Guys with high averages usually have a high number of extra base hits. They're going to go for their, their doubles. You're going to see triples and, and whatnot. And what does that say about them? They shoot for the gaps. They're line drive hitters that put that power behind it, and they can hit the ball on a, on a, on a nice straight plane. So that's one thing I will look at, 
Uh, I'll look at your extra base hits. Are they getting are they getting their doubles? Are they up there or not? One thing about Abisail Garcia this year that I I paid attention to, he's getting those extra base hits, and that's what's made him successful. You're not going to get – that'd be great if we can get guys like Adam Dunn that could hit 50 home runs consistently or 40 home runs plus, strike out a lot. But when you're going deeper into the waiver wire, look for those extra base hits and the contact percentages as well. Yeah, I mean, an extra base hitter is going to maybe maybe he's in growth mode. A lot of youngsters, they you can tell that they're going to eventually turn into a lot of power because they have extra base hits. It means that you're either hitting the ball very hard, hard contact, or you're hitting a ton of line drives or both, which are all good. Um, let me ask a different way. Bilal, I had somebody comment to me the other day about a, a player, a batter, that strikes out a ton, like 32% of the time, which um, this year the average – you know, the average in MLB is 20%. Um, that's still high, but whatever. That's the average. This guy's striking out 32%. I said there's no way that he's going to be able to continue to contribute in four fantasy categories if he's striking out 32% of the time. I could name, like, on way less than just one hand. I mean, I could name, like, one player that I know of that's still playing baseball that actually maintains that high of a strikeout rate and still is productive in most of the categories. So, yeah – the guy said to me, well, the strikeout rate, it doesn't really matter very much for power hitters. And so I kind of looked at that, and I thought about it, and I argued about it for a while, and I, I went to bed that night and I thought, i got to talk about this on the weekend. So what's your thoughts about that? Do you think that, you know, you see a player, he's striking out 35% of the time. Is that sustainable that he's going to be able to even remain in the lineup? Um, I feel like batting average-wise, it's tough to sustain, like, a, you know, a batting average close to 300 when you have a strikeout rate that high. But yeah. it also depends on how hard the hitter's hitting the ball. Also, guys like, you know, Aaron Judge or um, we're going to talk later about a, um, uh, someone, uh, the rookie Cody Bellinger. You know, they're hitting the bar, ball really hard. Um, Miguel Sano is another example. Guys like that, even if they strike out, they're going to hit the ball so hard that they're naturally their Babbitt is going to be um, higher than higher than most hitters, which will allow them to hit for a higher average. Um, so guys like that will, you know, hit home runs, they'll drive in runs, and they can actually maintain a decent average uh, and not, you know, completely be a liability in batting average. So um, I think I just that, to go well, back. I was I'm just going to say that. Um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and please don't forget your thought. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's kind of, I think we have a little bit of a lag tonight because I'm on you know, my tablet and all that. But either way, try bear with me here. I was just going to um, say that the strikeout percentage and the hard hit contact is something that he, in the argument, was brought up to me as well, that when he hits the ball, he hits it so hard that um, – you know, that's what's possible. But what? But the point, thing is, is that when you're striking out, you're not hitting the ball. So hard contact almost would come after you are even able to make contact. It's kind of like you can't steal a base unless you become base. You can't really make hard contact if striking out 30%. You know, I guess you only need one, you know, one time to make contact. If you get, if you're striking out a third of the time, which is 33%, you know, if you get four at bats, you're going to hit a home run that night, and everybody loves it. Um, I just wonder if it's sustainable or not. What do you think, Kyle? Is it going to be sustainable? Probably not, but there's always the exception to the rules. And, I mean, if I can name four players that ought to, I mean, just instantly come to mind, guys that usually had high strikeout totals, but yet 
they always seem to string together phenomenal seasons. I mean, I Adam do. Dunn, low batting average though, but you look at his his power numbers, his slugging and whatnot, always always up there. Um, Justin Upton, same kind of player. It seems like he strikes out a ton, but but if you look at it, those power numbers, are always great. Uh, one guy that no longer plays, uh, but I mean, he always seemed to have uh, a high high strikeout totals. Was uh, God, what was his last name? Now why can't it? Uh, Brandon Inge. Uh, he always seemed like he'd strike out or hit a home run, but his numbers were always you know pretty mediocre. But I mean, this season, look at a guy like Miguel Sano. I mean, he's third in strikeouts in Major League Baseball, but yet he's yeah. still sitting at a 291 averages. OPS is, yeah. what, 41 points shy of of 1,000? So there's always the exception to the rules, but, I mean, it's very, very, very hard. Or, yeah, it's hard to keep, have a high average. Your on-base percentage is true because you do get those guys that strike out, but they will occasionally draw walks too. I, I mean, it's just that's why batting average kind of – it's kind of a an old stat to pay attention to only just because of that. There are the exceptions to the rules. Yeah, you know, I think we really in fantasy we need to up, update our statistical categories. Like we need to quit using ERA. We need to quit using uh, wins. We need to quit using stuff like this. But um, so they talk about a lot around the baseball community, and I read about it a lot. I was just looking at it the other day, the three true outcomes, and Joey Gallo is a good example. Miguel Sano is a great example. It seems that we're veering towards this three true outcome type of baseball where there's just, you know, it's going to be one of, there's going to be one of three things happen when the guy goes up to bat. It's going to be that he hits a home run or he strikes out or he, but he never walked, so that can't be the third one. It's pretty easy to look up if you want to know about it, but it's basically referring to these players that we're talking about right now that strike out a ton but still just get it done as far as RBIs. They get it on base. Like, they definitely – they're hitting it out of the park. So, um, it's, you. I think that you're right when you bring up Miguel Sano. He's a good example of somebody that may be able to I, – I, I don't know why I believe in Miguel Sano, but I don't believe in Cody Bellinger. It's almost like I'm – I must have really convinced myself for no apparent reason that Cody Bellinger is not going to last. Like he's just way, like he's breaking records too fast. And I guess as the older you get, the more bitter you get as far as believing in rookies. So we're going to talk about that in a while, but um, I want to get back to you, Bilal, if I didn't address whatever um, you were trying to say when I cut you off last time, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say it. Uh, I just wanted to go back to what Kyle was saying about extra base hits, you know, and, Especially with young hitters, uh, for example, Manny Machado, you know, in his first couple of years, he was hitting tons of doubles, and you knew just looking at him that those doubles are going to eventually turn into home runs, and that's exactly what happened. So definitely um, extra base hits is definitely something to look at, especially in our Major League Fantasy Baseball format where you have a separate category for uh, doubles and triples. And, you know, right. obviously they are going to help you out more in OPS than – a single or, or his or a walk is so yeah definitely something to look into when you're trying to pick up uh, pick up someone off the waiver wire you know a lot of people just look at home runs and yeah home runs are great and obviously they do give you a lot more value and you know runs run scored and RBI but someone who can you know hit extra base hits you know that sooner or later some of those are going to turn into home runs and they'll they'll benefit you in the long run. 
So a lot of people are playing now with on-base percentage instead of average. Uh, you know, you're usually going to play with one or the other. And there are certain players that you have, you know, that we look at and say, oh, this guy has a great um, batting average or a great on-base percentage, and, and the other one's not so good. So there are certain players that are much better in um, on-base percentage leagues than they or vice versa. Sometimes they're not as good. Like Mookie Betts was, is going into the season. It was like Mookie Betts is probably, you know, the couple out of the first three players off the board or first four players off the board. But um, in on-base percentage leagues, he lost a little bit of value. What do you tell people? Like, well, number one, pay attention to your league rules when you're drafting and, pay attention and, and know what you're getting into. But number two, Kyle or Bilal, maybe I should say one so we don't talk over each other. I'm going to give it to you, Bilal. What's the difference? Like, what makes a player good at batting average and not so good with on-base percentage? Why, you know, why do some players have, like, a great on-base percentage, but their batting average is, like, 220? So, for most part, you know, those uh, couple of stats, uh, majority of the time are going to correlate. Uh, there are some hitters like, you know, Brandon Belt or Carlos Santana, uh, Joey Votto. Those guys have a very high on-base percentage compared to their average and um you know again as you said you should look at your league format and the category scoring categories to you know properly value these hitters now a hitter like uh jose altuve you know he hits he's always up there in league leaders and average but he's not going to be worth as much in a on-base percentage league because there's guys other guys that have higher on-base percentage so you know there's some hitters that are going to lose value if, it, you know, if it's an on-base percentage league and there's others that are going to actually increase in value. But I feel like for the most part, uh, you know, 90% of the time they correlate and there's only a you know, few hitters where you see these extreme uh, deviations between uh, average and on-base percentage. Uh, you know, again, in our format, we, we have average and then we have OPS. So we kind of actually account for both of them. Uh, so you just really got to look at your league and, you know, your league format and kind of assess player value with that. I think it's looking at the bigger picture as well. I, I mean, you're talking about batting average. Average. That's just saying, what, how many times he gets a hit, a hit, per, or, you know, out of the at-bat. Well, the thing is, when you're talking, you're not telling the whole story. What else goes into an at-bat? you got to take into consideration hit by hit, walk, Getting on base via an air, just because you get on an air, well, that's going to hurt your your batting average, but it's going to help your on base percentage. So, I mean, if you're looking at the full spectrum, there's multiple ways to get on base besides just getting a base hit or a home run or any kind of hit that is. So, I mean, if you're taking you know reach on an air, you're talking about getting hit by a pitch, drawing a walk. Well, those are very important things that you need to take into consideration. Look at Steven Souza Jr. He was batting under 250 uh, prior to this week. Well, if you look at his OBP, 374, his OPS is 853. Just that 374 OBP, that's phenomenal for a guy hitting 261. But what's the true story about him? If you dig deeper, he has 41 walks. 41 exactly. walks. That's not bad at all. I mean, those are that's up there with the likes of your Aaron Judge, Jake Lamb, guys like that. that get on base. So I think it's very important to not just look at hits, uh, you know, divided by your, your at-bats, but looking at guys that have other abilities or other ways to get on base. That's the more, that's the important thing is telling the full story. That's just part of the story. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the 
part of obviously part of the reason that we've kind of seen so many more on base percentage leagues is because exactly that there's players like I mean Joey Votto has a great batting average but Joey Votto in an on base percentage league is like I don't know he's like golden you know he's he's just worth so much the, the on percentage it seems to be trending the, the wrong direction really last year when we entered this season it was 320 was the average I think right now it's even lower than that but um it, last year, before, before that, it was like 340. So just in one season, we saw it go down like 20 percentage points, which, again, points to that whole three true outcome type of baseball that we're playing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, as far as statistics go, I think that people are really interested. They want to know, and I hear people talking about hard contact rate, soft contact rate, launch angle, um, things that I, I look at and I go, I think that the most important thing that people need to know when they're trying to learn these statistics or trying to use these statistics is that, number one, if you're not using it correctly, then it's totally useless for you. And if you uh, do want to learn how to use it correctly, do realize that a, this is not a, a in, you know, be-all, end-all with these statistics. There's a human element involved with baseball and every other sport that cannot be um, explained by any type of math or statistics. And that's not to say you shouldn't use fan graphs. In fact, uh, we're getting here to the all-star break where fantasy baseballers start to run out of places that they can go for information. Like Sirius Radio stops really talking about baseball. They shift over to football. And I think that Fangraphs is a great site. I'm sure everybody that's listening to this podcast already knows about Fangraphs. It's just a really good place to get this information all year round. And you can just, you know, go and you can figure it out. We're going to talk about picking up players. We're going to talk about um, what – what about your leagues? When this time of year, I hear people giving up already. I know people are giving up already. They're frustrated with their teams and they're saying, I can't win. I'm in last place. But that's not true. I will tell you, number one, that you can win because when people start paying attention to football, they get, become just lackadaisical with their team. They're not paying attention because they're in like, they've been, you know, in second place all season. They don't worry about, you know, the fact that they just don't pay as much attention. So it's easier to take advantage of that situation. I think that it starts to really get down to the nitty gritty after the all-star break. This is only halfway through the season. This is not, you know, this is not, we're done here. Right guys. I mean, what do you think Kyle? It's time to give up, right? Never time to give up. And that's the great thing about baseball. That's what makes it better than any other sport out there. 162 games. And all the teams have played what? They, I think they have like what? 65? Around or just under, just under, yeah, I was going to say just under 100 games left. So they were really not even to the halfway point. So my thing is leading up to, with all the injuries this season, my main goal is always to try to have my team right now around hovering around 500. Why? Because I'm not out of it. I'm not that far behind, and you need to take into consideration injuries are going to happen. I mean, there's just no other way around it. And the thing is, there are minor leaguers. And, or let me just, before I hit that, it's such a thin waiver wire right now that we're like, well, what are we going to do? Well, that's what happens when Super 2 status hits. You see minor leaguers come up, not necessarily pitchers. I'm not big into pitchers in the first year, but hitters. Hitters, you see guys, think about like Gary Sanchez, what he did when he got called up, or, or Wilson Contreras for the Cubs last season. So many guys get called up, and they automatic, or they just instantly click right off the bat. So that, there's a, a lot of time left. And then that, too, I mean, think about it. Make a move. Don't ever be afraid to make a move. I mean, if you need to mix things up, do it. I mean, especially if it's a redraft league, what do you have to lose? And then my final thing is 
guys like Madison Bumgarner that have been on the D almost all season long, well, you're about to get them back here within the next month or so. Well, that's almost like making an acquisition. If you can hover around 50 or uh, 500 and then get arguably one of the best starting pitchers in the league back, yeah, it might be some rust. But, hell, he's probably, taking Madison Bumgarner at 75% is probably better than what you can find on the waiver wire. So there's so many different factors. Don't give up. Right. Right. What do you think, Bilal? I mean, how do you feel? Do you do you get kind of, you know, a little bit let down and like, oh, my gosh, my team is sucking so bad, especially with this 10-day DL now that everybody's going on the DL? I mean, there's some times when you just look at your team like, oh, God, what do I do, right? So what do you do? Well, with, you know, baseball, it's a, it's a game of averages, and you just got to you gotta be patient. You got to know that it's a long season, and uh, – you know, there's a lot of baseball still left to be played. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, they fall into the trap of looking at how far they are out from first place when they really should be looking at, at how far they are out from to the playoffs. Because once you you make the playoffs, you know, if you're the top eight teams in, in a head-to-head format, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you finish first or eighth in that right. place. And, you know, just – just trying to stay in. And, you know, a lot of teams that are going to be struggling, it's either injury issues or it's guys like, you know, Manny Machado or Carlos Gonzalez from Colorado that are that have been slumping. And you know these guys are going to wake up. You know these guys are going to go on tears in the second half. And it's something where you just need to be patient and you know it'll average out. Uh, you know, on any given week, you have a possibility of getting 16, 16 wins. We You know, we play in a – 16 category format so you have a possibility of getting 16 wins so you can actually make up the deficit a lot quicker than you think just you know as your team gets healthier or as the guys that you've been counting on just start to hit a little more and you know you always definitely gotta be um you gotta be aggressive on the waiver wire try and keep up with the the rookies coming up you know i'm sure trey turner an example from last year he probably saved a lot of people's uh fantasy seasons when he came up you know he in 70 games, he, he stole over 30 bases and had double-digit home runs. So I feel like as long as you keep you stay vigilant you, on the waiver wire and, as Kyle said, you know, don't be afraid to make trades. Like, you know, identify the guys that have been doing bad are, and are, you know, are expected to get hotter and are going to help you in the second half of the season. And, you know, biggest example of something like that is Brian Dozier from last year. I mean, most people were dropping him last year around this time, and then, you know, he ended up going on one of the greatest second half we've ever seen in baseball. So, you know, my advice would be just to stay patient, you know, stay active, and that's the thing. It's tough to do, too, you know, especially when you're really far out, you know, you're in last place, second last place. You kind of lose interest, but that's the biggest thing. you gotta, you got to stay interested. you got to stay active, and, and you, you know, if you make the right moves and if – luck favors you, you'll definitely can turn your season around. Yeah, so, I mean, you know what they say about just, uh, I totally forgot, I just forgot what I was going to say. Let me go here. Let me just go here. (laughs) I'm going to say, for the points league that you were talking about, the head-to-head league that you were talking about, you're absolutely right as far as, oh, here's what it is. I knew it would come back to me. They say to start small. They say to set your goals small, you know. So, if you're, you know, can be overwhelming if you're looking at, okay, um, I'm this many wins back or I'm this many, like you said, you have all of these categories that you can make wins in every week, you can win this many. But in Roto League, I think it's important to say, you know, that it's a long season and that the categories that you use, it's usually 10 of them, five hitting and five pitching. 
pay attention to those. Those are what's going to get you back up into the standings, which is where am I the closest to making earn a point here, earning a point there. If I can just pass this guy, you know, if you're sitting 50 stolen bases and the guy ahead of you has 51 and the guy ahead of him has 52, and then there's two guys with 53, then if you get like, if you get a few extra stolen bases, you could get five, four or five points just in stolen bases. So pay attention to where you're close and moving up, where you think that you can actually advance instead of, you know, just trying to look around, just won't, aimlessly, you know, wandering around trying to find the best player. Look at the categories. Pay attention to what you um, need and where you can move up in the rankings. And it is a long season. When people talk about, you know, this player, okay, I was right about this player, I was wrong about this player, I don't think that it's really time for any of that yet because it hasn't even hit the All-Star break yet. So you can't really say I was right about Eric Thames or I was right about so-and-so. No, you weren't right. You don't know yet what's going to happen to this person because it's a long season and there's so many times where we watch a player that's really hot at the beginning of the season. Look, I'm just using Eric Thames as like a, you know, hypothetical here. It's not, I'm not saying that I like him or don't or believe in him or not. It's just one of those things that people were, had very strong feelings going into the season about whether or not they thought they um draft pick. Well, I mean, that's, he already has made up for that by far, anything that anybody spent on him has been paid for, regardless of whether he does anything for the second half of the season. But, um, you know, he's, at, he's t- uh, probably 20. I mean, yesterday was 19, so it's got to be 20 by now, right? I mean, <laughs> that's how many home runs he's hitting right now. Um, but, yeah, don't give up. Uh, what happens, though, when it gets to be like about August, okay, and you've you know, you figured out that you're not going to make the playoffs because half the teams aren't going to make the playoffs. If you have playoffs and if you're in a head-to-head league, if you're in Roto, let's say you're in last place, you're like 10, 12 points from even getting out of last place. What, what is – you kind of have an obligation to your league, really, to keep the integrity up, which means that you can't just abandon your team. You shouldn't just uh, leave your team to just rot away while people are on the deal. And, you know, when someone comes off the deal, you need to put them back on – Regular maintenance is all I'm saying. You don't have to – obviously, you're not going to be really trying to win. You can't really – I could never expect anybody to act like they're going to, you know, win the league when they're in last place and they have no chance. But um, what's your advice for when it comes to that point when it's a redraft league and you know that you're not going to win Jack and you're a loser, basically. So what do you do then? Kyle? Uh, Well, it's – oh. No, go ahead. (laughs) Please. Okay. Well, yeah. In, in you know, in that case, you definitely want to, you know, you you know, you you know, most of the time you're playing with your friends or your family, so you, you know, you, you want to try and keep the integrity of the league. You know, you know that you're going to be in this league next year and the following year, and you know, you've been part of this league, this group of people for a long time, and you you don't want to do anything to you know ruin ruin the fun or the integrity of the league. And, you know, you just got to put yourself in other person's shoes where, you know, if you were, you know, one of the teams fighting for a playoff spot and then you had this, you know, one team that was completely just tanking and didn't set their lineups or anything, you know, you wouldn't want that either. So, yeah, you definitely want to try and at least set your lineup, make sure you don't have any DL players in your lineup, you make sure you don't have any, you know, people that were sent to the minor league stuff like that, so you want to make sure, and I think, you know, our Major League Fantasy Baseball format really does a good job of uh, ensuring that by having uh, penalties and, uh, you know, having a structure in place where 
if you don't have a proper lineup in, in place, you know, you're going to get alerts, you're going to get emails, and uh, I think that's yeah. a really good way to keep the integrity of the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're talking about financial penalties where, so um, in, in this specific league, uh, people just coming in idle by uh, charging them money or, you know, like they, like you would get charged for make, you know, making a move or picking up some leagues, they charge money. That's a good um, way to, like, get around that from happening. It's almost inevitable that it's going to happen because there's no incentive for these people to stay fully focused in this league. You know they're not going to win any money. I mean, unless you're charging them money, then they don't want to. You know, they don't want to go in debt further, so they pay attention. There's also where you um, get paid uh, in all the positions as long as you don't finish last, and so it it keeps people interested because they don't want to be um, in last place or whatever. But it's like whatever. How much money can you possibly win for coming in first if everyone's getting paid, right? So, Kyle, what's your uh, think about this? Yeah, I mean, my thing is just don't, I mean, as long as you are within, don't even pay attention to how far back you are from the first place. It's probably not going to happen. I mean, I won my first league ever by getting the last last playoff spot, and that was in hockey this past season, and I was just gunning for that last playoff spot. I'm like, just get in the playoffs, and it's a, it's a new day, you know, and, and I wound up going through and winning. But, I mean, that being said, too, I mean, if you're far behind and you're just not going to, make the playoffs, will become that team that's going to stop other people from getting that last playoff spot as well. I, I, I mean, that's what I started to do. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to make it. Well, I'm going to start making sure other guys can't make it either. And start taking yeah. risks then. Like, you've been holding on to a player for way too long and you need to get rid of him. Get rid of him. Go start playing the hot hand. I'm not saying, like, drop guys like big-name guys that are going to be scooped off. No, but if there's guys you've been holding on to, like, for some reason you have – I don't know, Drew, Drew Smiley on your DL or say he's eating up a bench spot with all the red I've seen in lineups with all the 10-day DL guys. Well, start dropping ones that you've been holding on to, especially in redraft. Get rid of them. Start getting guys that can immediately help in your statistical categories. And, and, and just start make, taking the risk that you were afraid to make prior to that. I mean, if you're in dynasty or keeper leagues, well, then you can start planning for the future. Um, you know, making trades, trying to build for the future. And I know how major league fantasy sports, when, you, you know, when you're going to do that, then you need to start re-upping for the following year if it's deemed a, a move for next season, which is great. It keeps the integrity. And then you make sure that you're going to be back the following season. Because the most frustrating thing is to take over a team in a dynasty league and you go to draft and you notice you see a loss of high draft picks. You're like, well, where do they go? You know, so you don't want to see that happening. Keep the integrity. Yeah push through, and do my favorite thing. When you know it's it's all over and you're not making the playoffs, well, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start knocking these guys out of the playoffs as well. So, I mean, just just make have fun with it. I mean, think about it. It's free. Or, you know what I'm saying? I'm not – believe I'm, there are obviously money leagues. I'm just saying it, it it's – no one's pressuring you to do anything. So, just have fun with it. Um, definitely. I mean, there's there things that you can take to the league. It doesn't have anything to do with money. And, and again, I'm going to say something about your point about knocking other people off and keeping competitive. These head-to-head leagues where, um, you know, it gets close to the end of the season and there's teams that are fighting for playoff spots. And you're going to be, you know, just who happened to be facing the same week. It's not fair to the guy that faced you like weeks ago when you were really trying to just get on your team and look who's facing you. You basically slide right into playoffs. And, and then the guy actually deserves to be there, you can get in because of that. So, we, you know, that, that's just not good there. And, but, but for now, not for now, because I think 
if a pitcher has a really high ERA, let's you know four or five ERA, but his FIP is around three, you know that that you know he's pitching better than what his ERA says, and that it's gonna you know over time it's gonna even out, and you know he's gonna start that luck is gonna change. So you know identify pitchers and hitters that you think are you know have been a little unlucky, and their underlying numbers actually show that there is, you know, a regression towards their mean uh, of their career coming. So, you know, identify those players and try and trade for those players. Better idea of what the pitcher, uh, how good he is just on his own. Let's talk about the waiver wire and how, you know, usually you get like a $1,000 in fab money or whatever. You get a certain amount of money that you can spend on players throughout the season. And like, for instance, Lenny, he's all about – spending whatever he needs to spend to get players early. Like, um, pretty much by now, he spent a lot of his fab money in most of his league. Um, myself, I have to wait a little bit because I like to just hang on in case I need a player and um, I need to pay an extra couple of dollars for him. I, I tend to uh, crazy about spending my fab money. Right now, what do you think, like, when um, one of these prospects comes up that we're going to talk in the next hour, we're going to talk about some prospects that are coming up. Lewis Brinson just came up. He's a good example of this. What do you spend on a guy like What? How much money should you keep of your fab? And how do you decide how much money to spend on fab, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, every player is different. Um, if I'm thinking about a guy like Lewis Brinson, I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking about the next guy to come up and put up huge power numbers. But the thing is, he has fresh wheels. He's young. So, uh, I think it almost comes down to not necessarily – well, yeah, I'd say not only the player that you see, your personal preference, but what they're projected to do in terms of looking at their minor league stats. And I mean, you can always get a pretty good idea of what guys are going to do. Obviously, a guy like Lewis Brinson in the outfield, I mean, outfield is, is deep. There's a lot of guys there. Um, so I may not necessarily be personally. I, I'm short up my outfield. So I'm gonna throw a few bucks here and there at a guy like him. But then if I see your 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 um, your infield positions with guys getting called up, I might spend a, a little bit more money on those just because I know it's a little bit thinner in terms of what you can find on the free agent wire. And if guys are definitely coming up in their big matches, like you mentioned, Cody Bellinger, a guy like that, I, I think you're gonna spend a little bit more on him than a guy uh, like Brinson. So I, I mean, keep. It's going to be personal pe- uh, preference, team needs, and, and just how big of an impact they're supposed to make as soon as they get called up. I mean, if you look at, like, Milwaukee, I mean, so far they've had a pretty solid uh, season. So if you're getting a guy out like Brinson, I see him more as, like, a, uh, a, a role guy in this offense. I mean, they're about to get uh, Ryan Braun back here, too. If you, you talk about Thames already and you see what they can do. Uh, and then uh, who's the other guy? Uh, the one that plays third base in outfield. Um uh, God, what's his name? Like an, uh, let, me, uh, let me say that. Hernan oh, uh, Perez. Perez. So you see guys like him that you know that. Yeah, so it's almost like a Brinson is a guy they more to get on base and, you know, that can run and, and, and get uh, get uh, score some runs too. But then when you get guys like Bellinger, you're going to see uh, other guys that are about to get called up here that I'll, I'll wait to drop their names once we get to that thing. But I think you'll spend more money on those guys because you're going to be looking for them to drive in runs. So, I mean, I think that you're going to have 
more trying to push. And maybe not. The trade deadline comes because a lot of rookies have already come up. There are some still down there that are going to come up. But uh, the trade deadline, too, there's going to be some trades going on where, you know, it's going to basically um, affect players. It's going to – some players will be traded, meaning that they're going to have the next guy in line will take over and get everyday play because of that. Like Matt Adams just to um, – He's in Atlanta. Ever since he's been in Atlanta, he's just hitting like crazy because he actually has a job now. So if you're looking for a player, um, I'd say that it's easier to, obviously it's easier to analyze a, a guy that's been doing it for years. Like, man, I don't know what he's doing. We know he does. He just did his job. So that's a good example. Um, it's easier to think about what they're going to be able to get you. It's easier to spend more money because you kind of know what you're getting. But as a rookie, you've never really seen in the major leagues, and he's never seen in the major leagues because he's never been there. So a lot of times they don't they don't translate as well, especially in the first season. So I say if you see a player on the waiver that is fits fits what you need on your team, then you spend. Like it's the time now, especially if you're doing very – you've got to make serious moves. You can't just like little moves. You have to make big moves. You have to get the player and make sure that if that's what your team needs, you've got to make the player. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree, and I think you you know you need to kind of kind of look into the future as well and try and start stashing some of these prospects that you know, as you said, that you think there's a potential trade to happen and they might come up, you know. For example, someone like, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, there was a lot of trade talk with him last offseason, and, you know, he's potentially one of the people that might get traded. So you look at guys like Austin Meadows in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, you might want to try and stash him a couple of weeks before the trade deadline so you don't have to spend more uh, on the of your fab money because there's going to be less competition at that time. Um you know, and similarly, I mean, when it comes down to, you know, spending your fab dollars, you know, there's a couple of things you got to look at. you got to look at yourself, your team in the standings. You know, if you're in the bottom of the standings, then, you know, you want to be more aggressive. You want to try and get the player. But you also want to look at, as you guys were talking about, Lewis Brinson, someone like that, you know, you know, assess the player. See how his role is going to be in the major leagues. Him, the, you know, Brewers have a crowded outfield, so you don't know how long he's going to be up for. When Braun comes back, you know, they might send him down. Uh, similarly, a guy like uh, Derek uh, Fisher for Houston, again, it's unclear what his playing time is going to be. Houston has outfielders. When Reddick comes off the uh, concussion DL, who knows if he's going to go back. So, you know, try not to spend, you know, break the bank on guys like that where you're unsure of what their, um, what their role is going to be once they're promoted. But, you know, other guys, you know, when you see there's a clear role and, you know, if there's a team that's out of it or, you know, and they're looking to bring up a new guy and they're going to give him regular at-bats or, you know, if you see there's a long-term injury, like, you know, in the, in the Yankees' uh, system, you know, um, uh, Cesar Sabathia just went on the DL, but it doesn't seem like a long-term thing. He might miss a month, so you don't want to go out and try and grab their top pitching prospects because most, most likely they're either not going to get called or even if they are called, they're probably going to get sent back to the minors when uh, Sabathia comes back up. But, um, you know, so you just assess where you are in the standings, assess what the role is going to be for the player, and, you know, at, for a certain extent, assess how the player you think is going to do. You know, you look at their minor league stats and see 
you know, will they be able to translate their success in the minor leagues to the major leagues or, or not? Right. So I just want to remind everybody to check out friend, uh, the friends and partners of Major League Fantasy Sports. This would be the uh, FSW Hall of Famer legend, Lenny Melnick, who is also a sports, along with myself, .com, and co-host Craig Miss on Sirius uh, Radio at Sunday morning, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. FSTA Hall of Famer, Ron Chandler at ronchandler.com, and Brian Lurk, our Dynasty partner and owner of RealDynasty.com. Um, lastly, MajorFantasySports.com is completely funded by listeners, league owners, and readers through donations to Patreon account. Yeah, I mean, while we're talking about donating, there's other things that you can find at Major League Fantasy Sports. It's not just a radio show. It's leagues. They have great leagues. They have uh, leagues that you've never really heard of that are actually using current, uh, re- relevant statistics and categories in leagues. Corey Roberts, obviously, he's a nice guy. I do a show for him here uh, once a month, so he gets to kick it with his kids. And uh, Kyle writes an article every week, then Joe Iannone writes an article. So there's a lot more, there's a lot of good stuff over there to check out. So if you, you can donate by in the link, the top right side of the homepage at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Thanks to everybody. Let's move on. So just to recap what we talked about in the first hour, we talked about uh, obviously, why you shouldn't quit your league? The, there's more than just the, the winning money. We talked about the different statistics you can look up when you're uh, trying to analyze players. It doesn't have to be like the deepest thing, but there's a couple of things that really stand out as far as next hour. We're going to talk about some prospects that that are coming up, some players that we're going to ask if they're real or not. We're going to let's just start there. Let's talk about um, the prospects we. That she's coming up soon. There is such a great one because the Mets are people, and you know, if you know anything about the Mets, you just know they're just whack. Totally it's like, I mean, that just sums it up. They're whack. Their players are hurt. They don't play. And they're ready to come up. They don't. They're super. We all know that there's a certain number of games that a player has to play before it kicks in, saying that that's a full season. So a lot of teams will keep. Hey, hey Andrea, we're having a little bit. We're having a hard time hearing you. It's a little choppy. Oh, can you hear me better now? I can hear you better now. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a little editing for those who listen. Let me see um, what I said. Probably waiting for the Super Two status to pass, and 
I mean, it's definitely we're right there now. It's it's upon us, and yet he's still not getting called up. And they said, oh, well, we're not going to make the call yet. Why not? I mean, this team needs a shot in the arm, and this guy could do it. There's no reason why he's in there. I mean, look at his stat line. He's flashing 332-373-491. I mean, he's getting on base. He's hit the most home runs he's hit since he's been in minor league baseball. And, I, I mean, he's on pace to break his, his RBI total of last year of 71. So, I mean, there's no reason – why he's not gotten the call yet. Now, he's going to be yeah. better defensively than what – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just exactly going to say that, that the, the, you know, what you were about to to say. So go ahead and uh, talk about the yeah, fact I that mean, the defense stinks. <laughs> right. I mean, defensively, he's better than any player that they currently have on the roster. They need to bring him up. They need to just quit doing that. I hate when teams do this. They're like, oh, well, we're not going to bring him up. We're not going to bring him up. Bring him up. If the guy's ready – I don't care about age. I don't care that he's only 21 and he's only been in the minor leagues for four seasons, you know, since he's 17. He's ready now. I mean, what more does he have to prove? You're talking about AAA, so he's seen guys, pitchers that are more than capable of pitching in the major leagues. And I mean, hell, look at his double-A stats, which arguably the most competitive in baseball, and that was last season for him. I mean, get him up. Get this team going. They need something. They need something to be happy about. Get your... Get your fans involved, too. I mean, if you hear your best minor league player, your top prospect, is getting the call, more than likely you're going to turn on the TV, you're going to go to the stadium and see that. And it just helps build team morale. You know, you're bringing in a guy are, are that's kidding? on fire. Absolutely. It means so much more than uh, people realize the, the fan – the fan base, the motivation of the fans, and it's like if there's not any other reason to bring him up, which there is, at least make the fans happy for a second, right? Because the, the fans in New York are not just normal fans. They're they're big-time fans. I mean, they're calling up – we listen to the AM radio every night when we go to bed, and we listen to the fan radio, 660 AM radio, and we listen to caller after caller, depending on which team is doing bad, but mostly the Mets, you know, just like – why aren't they doing this? Why are they making these decisions? And the Mets have just made some crazy decisions. This year, I think it's worse than it ever has been, but it probably isn't. It just feels that way because it's current. But like Sandy Alderson came out the other day and said, the question is whether the changes would make us better. And if they don't, then what happens after that? So right now we're comfortable with where we are is what he says. And the thing is, is like, how comfortable can you be? You lost to Shrubal Cabrera. You lost Neil Walker. Jose Reyes sucks like he's the worst player in baseball, according to several statistics, not just one, but definitely defense. And that's the thing. We talk about these prospects. You can hold out all season for Ahmed Rosario uh, in your fantasy team league, but I wouldn't do it because you never know what the Mets are going to do. And there's some other uh, rookies, prospects that, that will get the call that are on teams that actually make decisions based on logic. Right, Bilal? Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, you know, the Mets just can't get it right, you know, whether it's, trying to, you know, get Noah Syndergaard an MRI or whatnot, you know, and it just seems like they, they just, you know, organizational-wise, they just make poor decisions. And, you know, this kid, Ahmed Rosario, he looks, you know, he looks as ready as any prospect in baseball right now. You know, he's got high batting average, low strikeout percentage. You know, he, he looks like a, not, a finished product. And, you know, I mean, he really has nothing else to prove right now in AAA. Uh, and as you said, you know, they actually have openings with Drew Cabrera and Nicky Walker both, you know, going down. Uh, you know, this is this seems like as good a time as any to bring up a prospect like him. But uh, obviously Sandy Alderson and the Mets have uh, different ideas. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what's holding them back now. I feel like I think at this point the Super 2 deadline is kind of past too. Um, 
Yeah, I know there's no exact date, but towards the end of June, I feel like that's where GMs start feeling more comfortable bringing up prospects because uh, because of the Super Two deadline. So I feel like that's passed, and you know it's really you know it's time they should bring him up because you know I, living in New York, I see Mets fans they're suffering every day. You know they have I hope going into the season and. Just like every season, it hasn't worked out for them, and they can definitely use something, something uh, you know, to feel that. I totally agree with you. Um, so you know the fan radio, and you hear the poor fans calling in desperate, talk to the sports announcer or whatever, you know, the host of the show, and be like, what are they doing? But there's just no good, there's no good reasoning. Well, Let's talk about another player. I, I mean, I can't blame them too, because you know, you look across, you know, across town to the Yankees, and you have all these young prospects coming up and doing so well. You know, whether it's Judge, Sanchez, Severino, and you know that that you know affects them as well, because they see across town rivals, you know, all these prospects coming coming up and doing amazing, and they're like, you know, we want we want some of the same thing here, and they're just not getting what they want right now. Um, Ford. The job, the general manager's job, I don't care if you're the last place team, I don't care if you're the first place team, your job is to put the most competitive team on the field that you can. Sandy Alderson is not doing his job by keeping Rosario in the minors. I don't care what anyone says, we're like, oh, it's business, but no. Your job is to make sure this team can compete. It is a professional level. These guys should be able to compete. If you're holding a guy in the minor league, it's more than ready, more than capable, and it can give this team a shot in the arm that they need. You are not doing your job. If Ahmad Rosario isn't called up by the end of the week, I will tell you soon enough, the owners will start looking for other opportunities to fill that GM role. I don't care what he's done in the past, and this is what I respect about people from the East Coast. They're not going to live like the soft society we live in where they're like, oh, it's okay. No, it's what have you done for me lately. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care that you made it to the World Series two seasons ago. It, they didn't win, so it doesn't matter. Just like the Cubs won the World Series last year, it doesn't matter anymore. What can you do for me now? Put the guy well, on the field that can do things right now. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, Sandy Alderson has done everything to lose his job, and he still hasn't, which is just beyond me. But there is no – here's what I think. I think that even though they say that they want to give this guy more um, experience in the minors, they can't pull this crap about how we don't know if it's going to make our team better. I, Anything is better, dude, than what you have now, okay? Anything. So uh, let's go there. And I think that they must still – it's getting down to the wire on the Super 2 status thing. I mean, it, if he doesn't come up by the end of June, I am going to say that the Mets are absolutely crazy because I believe that there is something to the fact that they – nobody ever says they're waiting for Super 2 status to pass, but they are. We all know it. And maybe they just want to make sure and, and be super sure. Maybe they just – want that but they can't push it off that much longer because there's plenty of prospects that have come up in the major leagues recently that have had less experience than he already does down in the minors and you know every day he's getting more and more at bats so the excuse of he needs to get more at bats in the minors that is coming to a quick end okay because they're not going to be able to put that off for the entire season there's another team out there that's doing kind of the same thing but I have to say that you know there's nobody like the Mets so just putting that out there. The White Sox, uh, they got Yoan Moncada. He came from the Red Sox. They, you know, they, this is one of the top prospects in baseball. Actually has a little bit of major league experience already. 
Um, he's down in the Myers. He was just hurt. Actually, was activated just a day or two ago. But the White Sox are saying the same thing. They just want to have, be extra sure. They want all the proof that this top prospect is ready to return to the big leagues. He didn't do very well, but he only had 20 at bats. So I don't know how well you could expect him to do. Uh, the White Sox, Yoel Moncada. What do you think, Bill? Uh, when do you think he's coming up? Well, he, he's one of the guys that you know I I have actually I drafted him in one of my leagues and I've been stashing him and till now I've been very disappointed that he hasn't been called up. I know that he did go on the DL uh, recently and since coming back he hasn't been doing as well. So it's a little more understandable why he's still down there compared to uh, Ahmed Rosario and also um, you know he has a high strikeout percentage unlike Rosario so. There are some holes in his swing, swing but fantasy-wise, you know, there's no prospect that has a higher ceiling than Moncada does. And, you know, I feel like sooner rather than later, the White Sox will call him up because, you know, they want to see what they have in him. You know, they gave up Chris Sale to acquire this guy. So, you know, and, you know, before getting hurt, he 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 was doing amazing. You know, he was stealing bags. He was hitting home runs. And, I think, you know, this is one of the guys that can really do what Trey Turner did last year, you know, come up, steal, you know, in 70, 80 games, steal 30 bases, you know, hit double-digit home runs. So th- this is one of the guys that can really be a game-changer for fantasy teams. And, you know, if you know, as we were talking before, if you feel like your team is out, you know, this is exactly the type of people you want to stash and you want to hope that the White Sox, you know, he starts hitting again in the minors and the White Sox call him up as soon as that happens. Um, so I misspoke because I saw that it said the 17th, which was May 17th, that he actually was um, taken off of the DL and activated from the disabled list. So I apologize for that. But um, here's a guy that strikes out in the minors at the AAA level 27.9% of the time. And this guy has a huge strikeout problem. I at least can see, the, you know, at least it makes sense when they say that he needs to work on his play discipline. At least it logically makes sense. You know, when you got a guy like uh, Ahmed Rosario who is doing everything that he's supposed to be doing and ready to just – he's already done it at the AAA level. You know, Yoan Mankata actually hasn't spent – he never even made it to the uh, AAA level before Boston called him up. So the fact that he's at AAA now, this is actually his first, um, you know, his first little – stint with triple a so while he can hit for a lot of power he's definitely got he should really he needs to work on his strikeout rate i am not going to put a lot into the fact that he struck out 60 percent of the time when he came up to the majors because like i said it was only a few of at bats it's not a sample size that you can trust at all um although i do see the hesitation with the white Sox, especially if they don't need him another thing the mets desperately need rosario the white Sox, i don't you know it's probably arguable whether they really need him or not right now you know so that i think this is a team that's really preparing for the future and in order to do that they um they want their you know prospects to be ready and that's understandable right so um yeah i don't know what's going on there what about chase uh chase chance adams is a yankee pitcher correct you wanted to talk about him for a little bit yeah i mean he he has been you know lights out he he wasn't really one of the top prospects um, a couple of years ago, but, you know, last year he just came out of nowhere and, you know, had phenomenal numbers, and he's continued that st- uh, success this year. 
And, you know, there were a lot of rumblings when CC Sebastia went down uh, with the injury that the Yankees might call him up. But, you know, it just it just seems like, as I was saying earlier, because it's not a, you know, it's not a long-term injury, you know, Sebastia should be back in a month or so. Uh, I don't think the Yankees want to call him up, put him in the rotation, and then once Sebastian comes back, send him back down. And plus, well, you know, he is sort of blocked by, you know, right now, other than Sebastian, the whole rotation is healthy. They're pre- doing pretty well other than Tanaka, but, you know, Tanaka's not going anywhere. And other than that, they have actually a lot of starting pitching depth right now with Chad Green, Luis Sessa, um, Harmon. So I feel like, you know, Chance Adams, he's definitely – done everything he could do to make the case to be in the major league rotation, but um, he, you know, he might need a significant injury in the Yankees rotation to, to really get the call up. Well, I don't, okay. Here, what I know about the Yankees starting rotation is that I don't think it's going to, it's, it's definitely uh, not deep by any means. Uh, Tanaka has not been himself. I'm just expecting him to go on the, he's going to eventually need to fix that partially torn, ligament that he has and you know so basically that right now they're relying on Severino who I love and we'll talk about in a few minutes and Pineda but beyond that you got Tanaka you got CC Sabathia out you got Montgomery and like you said there are a couple other uh, players that they can pitchers that they can take a chance on but I like the fact that this um, Adams has moved up through the minor league system he has pitched at every level. He does it doesn't change much. You know, he's always pitching right about the same. He pitches well. Uh, he doesn't walk a ton of batters. I don't think it, his whip is extremely low. Um, so that tells me that he doesn't walk a ton of batters. And he's pitched 40 innings at AAA. May or may not be ready, but I guarantee if the Yankees run into a problem, they will call him up. And and because the Yankees aren't like the Mets, I mean they make decisions based on logic most of the time. And so if they need the you know if they need the pitcher to get in the playoffs, they're going to call on him. So I would pay attention to that rotation. Go ahead. I mean the only thing I can think of with him is now you're going to see them. I, I stretch him out, and I say that. He's pitching 75.2 innings, and he's at 13 starts. So that's, what, under six innings per per start. So, I mean, that's really not a lot. So I can see them start uh, ramping up his workload here within the next month, get him up towards that six, six and a half innings, maybe even the seventh inning, just to see how he can handle that workload. And, uh, I mean, think about it, too. When you're When you're pitching for an American League team, you can get that extra inning under your belt because you don't have to really worry about – a pinch hitter too, but I mean, with the Yankees, what's one of their strengths? Always been that that bullpen, and I mean, before you know it, you're going to get Chapman back too, so that's going to help. And you know, you have Batantis and, and and the other arms in there, so if they can get him to ramp up his workload and be able to handle going seven or six to seven innings if need be, I think that'll help. And I think that's what they're going to start doing. Let him see how he handles that. If he runs into an issue in the minor leagues, let's see how he can adjust. That's the main thing there with pitchers. Can they adjust once they start hitting a wall? So for him, again, like I said, he's only around, what, almost what, five and three-quarters of an inning. So they'll ramp that workload up, and I think you can see him here within a month, too, if they need that that boost. You know, it's interesting, the point that you bring up about ramping up your bullpen, because if, if all else fails in getting a good starter, starting rotation that can get deep into games, then just 
get a bullpen that can, you know, a bullpen full of starters, really. I mean, because he's a starter down at AAA, but he could definitely pitch more than one inning at the major league level at least, you know. So this is what we're coming to these days. We've, like, babied our pitchers so much that they can't make it through five innings. They're making it through, like, three innings. And then you got to go through, like, another three or four pitchers because all your bullpen guys only make it through one inning. So, yeah, a great idea, Kyle. you got to remember, too. I mean, you got to remember too. I don't. I'm not a fan of bringing guys up that have been starters and throwing them into the bullpen at the major league level. I don't like that because it, it takes a little bit longer for a starting pitcher to warm up. And I know people are like, "Oh, well, that shouldn't be the case." Well, yeah, because I mean, starting pitchers have their pregame warmups that they go through. They get loose. They get going. Well, what do you notice about these guys that are, are you know in the bullpen? More than likely, after they're warming up in the bullpen, you'll see about what. You'll get some long, you'll get some short toss, long toss, and real quick, and then you're probably seeing what 15 to 25 pitches to warm up, and then you're in. A little different. It's a little different than with your starting pitchers because your starting pitchers have an arsenal of pitches. They're not going in throwing a fastball and then one off speed pitch. You know, the starters have more of a repertoire. So I think that's why I'm saying like a guy for chance Adam, get him to go get that workload up so he can last that extra inning at the major league level. Because if you have a dynamite bullpen, what don't you want to do? You don't want to burn them out. You don't want to have guys, starters only lasting five, four or five innings and then going to that bullpen. Because if you're doing that day in and day out, you're gonna, your bullpen's going to be shot. So my thing is get those guys ready. Your bullpen arms, clearly they're going to warm up faster. So, yeah, I mean, that's my two cents on it. That's a good point. Bilal? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, you know, you know, as we're talking about the Yankees, you know, they actually Chapman just came back today off the DL and he pitched an inning. So, they, I mean, bullpen is one of their strengths already. You know, they have Chapman, Batances, Clippard, Warren, and you know, Chad Green's been pitching well out of the bullpen. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, as I said, you know, <clears throat> for them, they're really going to need need a uh, significant injury in the in the rotation or, as you said, you know, if it comes out that Tanaka really can't pitch and he really needs to go under the knife, that's really the situation when I see a guy like Chance Adams coming up. Uh, other than that, I mean, Montgomery has been great since the beginning of the season. is pitching well. Severino, we'll talk about him later. He's been phenomenal. So, you know, if, you know, if the CC injury lingers on, maybe there's a chance he comes up. But, yeah, I mean, as you guys were saying, like, with the Yankees, you know if, if there's a need, they'll bring the right people up. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So, Gleyber Torres is another prospect that everybody knows his name because, you know, he's one of the top prospects in baseball. But he was recently – I think he's – you know, they say suffered a setback when you're on the DL, but kind of like that because he had a hyperextended left elbow. Um, they, had, they did some x-rays. The x-rays were negative, but – He's probably he's probably going to hit the DL if he hasn't already hit the DL. And basically, you know, this guy who was on the fast track to replacing Chase Headley um, is no longer going to be on the fast track, probably. And, you know, would do you even really want him? Because he's, you know, if they wanted to promote him now, he's not healthy fully. So you kind of just want to wait for Gliber Torres. I don't think there's much more to say about that. Do you guys? Yeah, he's actually on the DL. He went on the DL, I think, a couple of days ago. So, oh. yeah, you know, similar to Moncada, you know, you know, this kind of a speed bump in in his progress at of you know making the major leagues. And you know, Chase Headley, he was he was really he had a you know hot start. He was really scuffling in May, 
So there was a lot of chatter about possibly Torres replacing him. But of late, Hadley has started to hit again. And, you know, I, you know, knowing the Yankees, right now they have a good balance of veteran hitters and, and you know, young hitters. So I, I don't think he's going to get called up this year. If he does, maybe, you know, he's one of the September call-ups. But uh, I don't think fantasy players would be really expecting him to really do to contribute a lot this this season. July twenty um, first. I'm calling it now. That's when he will get the call and he'll be up the rest of the season. Two weeks on the DL. Saying? Two weeks to make sure he's gonna hit in the minor leagues, make sure that elbow's good because that's his lead hand, that that left arm. Two weeks. So July twenty first, that weekend series, I bet you he gets called up. Why oh, just because of that the the timing of the series or why do you say that specific date? Just because I I'm just looking I've just he he's ready now, and I mean that hyperextension. I mean that could. I mean with your lead your lead hand like that. I say two weeks just to make sure he's good to go, that he's healed. Two weeks, so that's fourteen days, an extra fourteen days just to give him that those at bats at Triple A. So I'm just circling it. I, I added in four weeks, circled it on my calendar. July twenty first, he's gonna get that call. So okay. Uh... Are there any other prospects that you think are coming up soon that you want to talk about that people should keep their eyes on and be ready to spend their fab money on when they get up here? Well, mine's Franklin Barreto. I've been big on him all season. I've just been waiting for him and, uh, and Gliber Torres to get the call. I mean, Barreto's more than ready. I mean, if Oakland wants another shot in the arm, I mean, Marcus Simeon what, should be back eventually. But, I mean, Barreto's been on fire, and he just never – he really hasn't slowed down here at the minor league level. Uh, I think he's going to bring a lot of. Uh, uh, I think you're going to see him run. I mean, he's, he's what he's, he's crushing right now. He's sitting at what two seventy five, three seventeen, four four thirty five, eight home runs. I mean, the most he's had in, in, in the minor leagues was thirteen back in two thousand fifteen. So I mean, he's on pace to break every number in minor leagues. Well, he's more than ready too. I think he's going to bring a little bit of pop, and I want to see him use the wheels. He hasn't really flashed them uh, this season. But last year, I mean, he stole thirty, or excuse me, he stole thirty bags, and I mean, it's more, more than, more than willing. And I, I think you'll, you'll see that with younger guys are more than willing to steal some bags. Well, playing in that, that team, I mean, look at Oakland; they got a lot of guys that can hit for power. You got Davis, you got Chapman, you've got Olson, you've got Yandro Alonso having a career year. So, with that being said, if he can get on base and and, and use that speed, I think he'd be a perfect. Uh, guy to score some runs, and he has that power, too. I, I think out of all these guys, I think he'll be the, the first uh, out of Rosario, Torres, and Barreto. I think Barreto will be the first to really reach a 20, 25 home runs. Um, yeah, just a note on uh, Franklin Barreto. I think I read the other day that um, you can expect Oakland to be calling up their top three prospects very soon. Uh, Matt Chapman, Franklin Barreto, and Matt Olson, all three are prospects that could be coming up in the very near future. Do you have anything to say about um, Barreto, Bilal? Yeah, um, well, Chapman, actually, they actually did call him up recently. So, he, yeah, you know, he's he's one of those three true outcome guys, you know, a lot of power, yeah. uh, strikeouts, um, you know, and walks. But, uh, yeah, Barreto, uh, you know, he was the main piece in that Josh Donaldson trade, and I'm sure Oakland Athletic fans, they really want to see – you know, what did we tr- trade an MVP caliber player for? And I think Barreto could be that guy that kind of, you know, gets them all excited again. As we were talking about Rosario, you know, Barreto, I think, just raw skill-wise, he he's actually has 
you know, skills that will translate to fantasy actually a lot better than, you know, he'll steal more bases. He actually has a little more pop than Rosario does. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I thought that they were going to call him up earlier when Semyon initially went down because, you know, he's been on the DL for a couple of months now. And uh, I thought they were going to call him up initially. But I guess, you know, just like a lot of teams that aren't really in it, they're waiting for the Super 2 deadline. So, yeah, I think we should definitely expect him to be getting called up soon. Uh, like these, yeah, these. I think that if you are on a league and you see Franklin Barreto sitting out there on the waiver, and you are allowed to pick up minor league players because some leagues they don't let you pick up minor league players until they actually play a game at the major league level. But if he's there and you can stash him, you can pick him up. You should do that right away because he's definitely going to be on his way up soon, right, guys? I mean, he's going to be their best shortstop since Miguel Tejada out there in Oakland. So, I mean, it's been a long time since Tejada was in Oakland, and I remember when he won the, that MVP out there. So, I'm just – I'm eagerly awaiting uh, for Reddit. Yeah, there was a lot of hype, you know, when um, Addison Russell was in the minors with the A's, and, you know, they ended up trading him to the Cubs. So, you know, I, I think, you know, this, this is the next guy, and I think he might actually have the skills to actually end up being a better player than – Russell in the long haul. I think it's important to remind people about, you know, the expectations that you can have for prospects because, and rookies, okay, it's the same. The, the thing is, is that no matter how good you are, no matter if you're Aaron Judge, Cody Bellinger, if you're, no matter who you are and how good you hit, you are going to have to adjust. Pitchers are going to figure you out. This is not the Korean League. This is not, you know, this, this is Major League Baseball. We have the best pitching in the world. The catchers study you. They study what you swing at. They know exactly where the pitcher needs to throw the ball to get you to swing. Every batter in the world has some flaw in their hitting. They have some place where there is a hole. And pitchers will try to uh, – they will figure it out and they will try to, um, you know, they will try to, to use it against you. If you're not able to adjust – and that's what really counts after the first or second time or the third time around. You've seen, you know, when they start to figure out, then what? You know, I think that it's super fun for people to get excited about rookies. And I, I'm one of them, too. But I think that in the same sense, it's been proven year after year after year after year that maybe you're good at first. Maybe you're having this crazy season. And I'm not trying to take away from anybody specific. I'm just saying in general, it's a general rule. A rookie is a rookie is a rookie. And they, they will be until they're not a rookie anymore, which means that they are volatile and they are not that reliable. I think I'm a big believer in the fact that if you own one of these rookies who is having a great run and he's just on fire, like Cody Bellinger, for instance, he's a perfect example. I would sell the crap out of Cody Bellinger that's me. I don't know. It's very hard. It's much easier said than done. I get that. But do remember that they're only going to be as good as, as they can adjust to the pitching. What do you guys, do you guys agree with me on that? Or do you have a different uh, view? Kyle. I think that's definitely fair. Um, there's a reason, though, uh, that being said, too, I mean, there's a reason why guys are, are highly touted prospects. I mean, we're not talking about a guy that got a call. Like, like the guy out there in in, uh, in St. Louis, what was his name, uh, um, Jose Martinez and then uh, Sierra, guys like that, they weren't necessarily top prospects that got called up, but, I mean, it was kind of the position they played. And, 
uh, team need at that time. Well, guys like that, yeah, you're probably not. You know, you're gonna you're gonna ride them as long as you can, but more than likely they're not gonna be capped if you're on a dynasty or a keeper league. But guys like Barreto or Gliber Torres, I mean, everyone knows everything about them. Or Bellinger too. I mean, they were highly touted prospects for a reason. I mean, they've never struggled at any point in the minor leagues. That being said, too, can you sell high on them? Yeah, absolutely. But go by team needs. If there's something you can get that is going to help you win immediately, yeah, go ahead and do it. Uh, especially if you have guys like, say, if you have Bellinger, you can put him at first base or in the outfield. More than likely, he's not, you know, you already have someone that is more than capable of holding down first base. If that's the case, yeah, see what you can get for him. Absolutely. I don't I don't see a problem with that. Right. Um Let's talk unless you have another prospect or two to talk about. I don't have any more on my list. Are you guys good? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Are you sure? You sounded like you weren't very sure on that one. We have time, you know. No, that that was. I mean, that that was pretty much the guy that I wanted to talk about. I wasn't sure if Kyle had any. Oh, Kyle, you good? I'm good. Kyle, keep the train rolling. Yeah, let's go. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about Chase Anderson. I, I'm just a huge fan of this guy because I like I like his attitude. Like I saw an interview with him late May uh, when he had a good outing. They interviewed him after the game and they talked about how, or he brought it up. Somebody brought up the fact that he was doubted a lot about you know pe- the pro- uh, scouts and stuff didn't think that he would be able to ever get deep into games because he relies too much. He doesn't really rely too much, but he likes to throw off-speed pitches. He likes to use secondary pitches as much as he uses his fastball. Basically, he's got four really good pitches, um, and he has been just dominating, and I love it. I love the fact that he's got his velocity on his fastball is up, um, and his off-speed pitches, the three that he uses, they're all really significantly different in velocity. So when that happens, that means like when a guy has like um, Kyle Hendricks, for example, his off-speed pitches are so close to the velocity in his fastball that it's almost like it's never going to trick anybody. You know, even if you have movement on it, if it's 89 miles an hour and it's 85 miles an hour, What's the difference between the two, really? It's it's much different when you got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, an 89-mile-an-hour whatever, an 84-mile-an-hour. I mean, you got four pitches. you got them all going different velocities. That in itself is going to throw off batters. I love the fact that the guy has kind of an attitude. He's like just, you know, really – he called them haters. You know, the, the haters, they're obviously not watching baseball and what it's turning into. I like that about him. I've been watching him since. He did put on some muscle in the off season, so that's what he gives credit to the um, the uptick in his velocity. So uh, he also worked with a gold medalist, Olympian. So what do you guys think of this guy? I mean, here's a guy that you very rarely ever see a guy throwing all four of his pitches and and even has a fifth pitch, but mostly it's 22%, 15%, 15%, and 43%. This is a guy that really likes to change up things. Um, you know, Honestly, he, he's pitched really well. I haven't gotten the chance to see a lot of his starts, but I, I feel like personally I think there's a regression coming and, and you know, negative regression coming for him. Um, as I was talking earlier, you know, his ex-fit is 4.3, while his ERA is 2.9, so he's gotten lucky. His homer to fly ball rate is 7.4%. League average is about 9, you know, especially pitching in Miller Park. 
that's not going to last. Um, so I feel like he has gotten actually pretty lucky this season, and I, I feel like he's more of a pitcher who's going to have ERA around four rather than 2.93, what, you know, what he has right now. Uh, so I feel like, personally, you know, just pitching in Miller Park, I don't really trust pitchers pitching in Miller Park. It's been, you know, it's, it's a Coors Field light, you know, a lot of home runs. And, uh, you know, for me, I think he's pitched great. And, you know, definitely the the fastball, increasing the fastball velocity is an encouraging sign. And he does, he has improved on his uh, uh, strikeout to walk ratios. But um, I, I feel like there's a regression coming for him. Do you have any uh, input on Anderson, Bilal? That was, yeah, that was, that was Bilal. Um, no, I mean, for me, I, I, I've i seen him pitch against the Cubs, and I mean, he looks like a four or five starter at best. I mean, he's 29 years old, and uh, I mean, guys do figure it out later. I get it, but for him, I mean, look at his first five starts. I mean, he, he went against some pretty decent offenses, I'd say, right? Boston, St. Louis, Chicago. Well, if you look at his past five starts, San Diego, I'm not worried about them. San Francisco, not worried. New York Mets. But he did have two phenomenal starts against Arizona. And, I mean, if you look at Arizona's offense, been pretty pretty damn solid all, all season long. So, I mean, those were impressive. Uh, I'd like to see once you start to get uh, into the nitty-gritty of the season, you start getting those division games even more, like Pittsburgh, St. Louis, the Cubs, and stuff like that. I don't think this is going to be sustainable all season long. Would I like for it to be? Yeah, I just don't see it. He does change speeds well. He's not going to overpower you, and that's true. But now, once the ball starts to leave the ballparks and you start having mistake pitches and guys are going to start feeling good hitting, I just I don't see it. I don't necessarily think he has – that great of stuff to keep this uh, keep this up all season long. Well, I mean, valid points, totally valid points. Okay, but here, but uh, in his defense, I will say, I agree that he's 29 years old, so it's kind of hard to be like. I mean, in fact, I think that Fangraphs has said something like, you know, the guy is like, you know, we keep expecting him to get better and better, and it's getting to the point where he may have already just hit his peak. You know, maybe he's just not that good. That's understandable. Okay, but. I think that the fact that he's become more confident in throwing all of these pitches, like uh, all four of these pitches is very rare to see in baseball. You just don't see it. And I think that's part of the reason why people don't really understand it that much and why it's so effective. His fielding independent percentage is obviously much different than his ERA, and that is something to look at. I do think that Miller Park has something to do with it because if you look at his split stats, he's much better on the road than he is at home. Um, Okay, that being said, he's still got an a, a extremely good ERA. He, still got, he does extremely well at getting, like, um, much better than he's ever done going later, later into games. Um, I love – I mean, I can't stress enough how much I love the fact that he – one of his pitches is 78 miles an hour. The other one's 83.8 miles an hour. One of them's 89 miles an hour, and the other one's 93 miles an hour. It's, it's like – kind of unheard of to have that many different velocities with and and be effective with all of these pitches. I really do like it, although I can't really sit here and say that it's going to be conti- you know, it's going to continue um all season. I hope it does for his sake, but I totally understand why you guys would question it. So, if you owned him, would you 
you might not even be able to sell him because that's how under the radar this guy is. I mean, that's, he's probably sitting on the waiver wire of half the leagues that we're talking to people right now. But I would, without a doubt, I would pick him up if he's not picked up already. And I wouldn't spend a ton of money because obviously nobody's paying attention to him in your league. You don't need to spend a lot of money if he's still there. I would go out and, and when you look to pick a player tonight, I think that that is a must look to see if he's there, definitely. And if you owned him, do you try to trade him, you guys? No, I think yeah, as you said, you know, he's very under the radar. He's one of the one of the players that, you know, you you go along for the ride, you enjoy it as long as he's pitching well and then once he's not, you know, you 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 drop him and you move on. But yeah, I I don't really think you're going to get much value for him on the trade market. You know, he's not an exciting name. He's, you know, as you guys said, he's 29 years old. Uh and again, you know, pitching in Miller Park, I don't see him really having much trade value. So, you know, he's been great so far. You know, enjoy it while it lasts, but um, I don't really think you're going to get much in trade. Yeah, for I, think him. You just, I think you just ride him out of what he's doing. I mean, think about it. You're going to trade a guy, Chase Anderson. What, what do you, you're going to get face value. More than likely, the only thing you're going to be able to acquire is another guy, another player that someone acquired off the – the uh, the waiver wire. I can if I'm thinking of guys like that, maybe like a uh, Mancini or a guy like Chris Taylor from the LA Dodgers. Guys like that, where you know, not necessarily your 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 uh, your, your biggest stars or are, are projected in terms of uh, talent wise, but uh, it, it, it's fair. Uh, I don't. You're, you're definitely not going to be able to get a, a big name guy that's struggling early on. So I'd say just ride it out, ride it out, and because I mean, pitching's hard to come by. So just Write it out. If you do have guys that are tradable and you're looking for an arm and you can do it, why not? I mean, it's just kind of a, a need, and I, I just don't think he holds that much value where you can uh, move him. Here's a good one. We're going to talk about Severino now. It's like, I, I, you know, I'm a Yankee hater. If anybody, I mean, if you've ever known me or listened to me, you already know this. I'm a Red Sox fan, okay? I live in New York. What am I going to do? But whatever. I am not a fan of Yankees. I usually don't even ever like them. I try to avoid them at like the plague. But in fantasy, you have to be smarter than that and not be a homer. And so, of course, I mean, I definitely give credit to what the Yankees are doing right now. I give credit to Aaron Judge. I definitely think he's the real deal. Luis Severino is somebody that I feel like runs this. It happens not just to him, but a lot of players, young players that we expect to be really good, and they come out and they just don't get that great of a start. They just don't get both feet running right away, and sometimes it takes them a couple years to, like, you know, just grow into their talent. I think that one of the reasons that I'm such a fan of Severino, and this probably just sounds like a ridiculous reason, but um, Pedro Martinez, who – Obviously, it was your daddy over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Anyway, he worked with uh, Severino in the off season. They worked together. And one of the things that I think that can't really be measured in uh, numbers is mound presence. And I'm, I think I brought this up last time I did the show. I bring it up all the time because I think it's such a big part of pitching. Um, his confidence level is, is changed. So even beyond the numbers that we're going to be talking about uh, with Luis Severino, I think that he is the real deal and he should definitely not be underrated. The reason that I brought him up and the reason that I started even really pondering him in the first place is because we have a Lenny Malick fantasy baseball group. Um, and the questions that garnered like 50 comments, it was offered to a guy and he said, he gives up Mike Trout, Stephen Matz. And what he gets back is uh, Miguel Sano, James Patton, and Severino. Now, let me just put this – I mean, 
in my opinion, which I was the only one, doesn't bother me, but it kind of makes me wonder, like, what people are thinking, because Mike Trout, I understand the love for Mike Trout. I also believe that Mike Trout is injured right now, and you don't know, of course he says he's coming back by the All-Star break. Every player wants to come back, and every player has the 100% hopes that they're going to come back. I believe that, too, but... Uh, can he, is he going to be able to hold the bat right away? Is he going to be able to – and he's – for sure he's not coming back for five weeks. That's the uh, beginning of August, the end of July. That You're going to be missing out on another month of baseball without any production whatsoever when – and plus on top of that, you don't know for sure if the guy is going to be the same Mike Trout when he comes back. You can't really expect that of him reasonably. I mean, he's, he might take another week or two just to get back into – the business of hitting. I do realize that we're talking about the hitter in baseball, and I do realize that there is absolutely no other hitter in baseball that stands a chance of producing for the rest of the season as much as he does. My problem is that for the remainder of the season in fantasy, you give up half of the time just to wait for the, the second. I mean, you've got to try to get in the playoffs first. So one of the arguments was we need well, Mike Trout is going to get – like, he could win the playoffs for you single-handedly, and you're right, he probably could. But if you're not in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. Uh, as far as Stephen Mass goes, uh, he means nothing to me. He's kind of like James Paxton. So in my world, I just kind of, like, threw away Paxton and Matt as just, you know, uh, throw-ins because Paxton is about as reliable as Matt as far as staying healthy. And so now what it comes down to is do you want uh, Severino and Sano for Mike Trout – for the rest of the season in your fantasy league, do you do it? I'll start with you, Bilal. Uh, first is going off uh, Severino. Uh, being a Yankee fan, I've seen tons of his starts, and, you know, this guy's the real deal. He's legit, you know. He had the top prospect pedigree coming into baseball. You know, 2015, we all know he had a great few, you know, great uh, 11 start stretch, and, you know, everyone was super high, and, you know, like a lot of prospects do, he went through some sophomore slump last year, and uh, you know he's 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 better than he even looked in 2015. Now, you know, he's attacking the hitters, he's he's aggressive, you know, he's using his fastball, you know, the fastball, you know, he's you know touching 98, 99 consistently with it. You know, even in you know six, the sixth, seventh inning, you, you see his velocity, and it's it's he's still hitting uh, 99, 98. Um, so, yeah, Severino, definitely a real deal. Um, I would want to disagree with Paxton and the match comparison. I think Paxton is just as good, if not better, than Severino. I know he has injury risks, but when he's healthy, and, I mean, you know, obviously it's a big win, but he's a hey, way better person. You, you actually get, Se- you get Severino and Paxton in this deal if you give up Mike Trout. You get Paxton, Severino, and uh, Sano. For Mike Trout and Stephen Matz. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, okay. Now turning my focus to the deal, I think uh, it really depends on where you are in the standings. Uh, I think you know if you if you're you know in the top half and you're you're comfortable, then you can hold on to Mike Trout. And you know if there's anyone that I'm going to bet on to come back and be his old self, it's Mike Trout. You know, he's you take example of. You know, he's like a freak of nature. Guys like Adrian Peterson, you know, everyone was like, oh, is he going to come back from the the knee surgery? And he came back, and he was his old self. And if anyone okay. is Mike Trout in baseball, that's going to come back and be his old self. But Let me ask you, let again, me ask you a question. 
let me let me ask you one thing. Is Mike Trout twice as good as Severino and Sano combined? Because that's really what it comes down to when you know if let's say he comes back at a hundred percent when he's ready to come back. He comes back at a hundred percent, he's getting half of the time that you're getting out of Severino and um and uh, the other two, Sano. So do you think that Mike Trout is twice as good? Well, you have to take into account replacement value. So, as we talked earlier, outfield is super deep. So, right now, you probably have a good outfielder replacing Mike Trout on your roster. So, you have to take that person's stats into account, too. You can't just look at Mike, you know, you're getting a zero for the next five weeks. That's not true. You're getting the replacement value, the stats from the player that you're going to fill in for Mike Trout. Um, I mean, I'm talking from experience because I have Mike Trout, and, you know, I have a decent, I have good outfielders that are replacing him. So, you know, obviously they're not replicating his numbers, but they're doing, okay. you know, they're doing fine and they're helping me out. And so, no, I, as good as he's been, I think there's a regression coming at least in uh, in batting average. I don't think he's going to hit 290 for the rest of the season. I think Gee he's going to be around you know, 260, 270. Um, so would I do that trade? It really depends on where I'm in the standing. If I need help now, if I need to win now, yeah, I'll trade Mike Trout away. But if I don't have to, I'm not trading Mike Trout. Really, it would have to be someone like, you know, uh, a Darvish or someone like that instead of guys like Paxton and Severino where they're good but they're still unproven. Because Severino, he pitched 150 innings uh, in 2015, 150 innings combined last year. So he's not going to pitch more than 180 innings. So if you're really I, I looking disagree. for him during the playoff stretch, I don't think you're going to be able to count on him. I so disagree. I couldn't disagree more that he's going to be on an innings limit because the Yankees need him in their rotation to make the playoffs, and they're going to need him when the playoffs come. They're not going to bench him because, I mean, an innings limit is for a guy like Lance McCullers who pitched like 90 innings total last year, and, you know, right now he's just basically – Lance McCullers is another player that we were going to talk about. We probably could if you guys really want. I guess my biggest problem with him is that he doesn't – he hasn't been able to maintain health. And so not to take anything away from his um, – not to take anything away from his talent because he's obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball, hands down. Severino, I think that when you've pitched 150 innings for two years straight, it's time – time to get you to 200 I don't know where the the middle point would be especially if the Yankees need him in their rotation to make the playoffs I don't think that he's going to be on an innings limit I don't think that's going to be a problem but I do definitely take take your point about the replacement player so it's not like you're going to have a dead spot completely in your outfield right losing Mike Trout but you're going to have somebody in there right so even if he's a replacement level player you can get somebody that's just you know off the waiver that's going to do mediocre work and keep your averages up and just you know continue to uh, give stuff to your fantasy but you know uh so you're right about that I didn't really take that into consideration that it doesn't go ahead well, I, I mean, was this was this for? Do you know if it was a redraft league or a keeper league? The redraft was being done? league. Is a redraft? So okay, so I would I would consider it for a redraft league. I mean, because I'm under I'm under the impression that if you're making a move to get uh, Severino impacts, and it's almost like saying you don't have two other starters that are more than capable of you know leading the the way for now. And I, it's kind of funny you mentioned Severino and Pedro. 
because two two seasons ago I, I wrote an article and I was huge on Severino in my minor league rankings. I said the same thing. Reminds me of Pedro just playing for the Yankees instead of Boston. Oh my God! And Pedro Pedro yeah. loves him, and I I mean I love the fact that Pedro worked with him because that's exactly what he needed. A little Pedro, he needed that attitude. Right, and and for me with Severino last, uh, so he he got the call up two seasons ago and was spectacular. Last season was his full season, up, down, here, there, this and that. That his that that second season for Severino was for him to make the adjustments. He did coming into this season. That being said, he's never had a, a, a big time injury, no no surgery. Like like when the the Nationals, you know, they put the innings limit on on Strasburg. So I think that's it. I don't think there's any leash on Severino, and they're going to ride him all the way as long as far as he can take them. So that being said, too, there's just no way I, I well I could say since it's a redraft league, I'd have to consider that consider making that move just to get those two arms that have been solid and to get a. Um, um, so no, who's been absolutely, you know, he's been spectacular this season. Now, if it was a keeper league, there's no way I, I'm doing that because I guarantee I have two other pitchers that I can r- ride the wave with moving forward into the league. I mean, Trout's 25 years old. He's only going to be 26 yeah. in, in August. He's only a year older than Sano. Paxton's going to, well, he's 29 years old. He, he's he's a three or four at best. I, I don't see yeah. him as a, a top line. He just he, was he projected to be absolutely. It just didn't turn out that way, and it, I, I always right. feel like he's one of those guys every year. Oh, James Paxton, James Paxton, James Paxton. It just never happened. Well, this year he's been solid. I don't think he's been phenomenal, but he's having a very, very solid season. So I, I just I redraft league. I consider it if I was if it was for the future. There's just no way I'm I'm I'm, I'm trading the best player in baseball. I mean, uh, Trout's 25. That means you have. Seven more years, seven or eight more years while he's going to be in his prime. I'm, I'm taking that. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm moving him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, are you? Am I talking to Bill or Kyle? Who was that? Did Kyle this get his Kyle. two cents in? This is Kyle. That was Kyle. Okay, good. So we, we bo- everybody got to say what they wanted. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't leave anybody out because it is a, it's a, it's an interesting topic to at least. I mean, if nothing else, I think it's definitely something to think about. Uh, like you said. Mike Trout is only 25 years old. It feels like he's 30. He's been around forever. Um, I I can't stress enough how much I like Severino. And, you know, this is not something that anybody could say. I mean, look at it, his numbers. They look great. But has he done this for a full season? No. Can you rely on him for sure? No. Did you see him have a lot of holes last year and the year before? Yeah, we watched him fall apart completely after those 11 starts that we talked about. He fell – I mean, this was not just like a slow, you know, got tired towards the end of the season. This guy was like 0-8. He was just horrible. And um, they, they even talked about putting Severino in the bullpen because he only had two pitches that he used, which makes sense because – you can't really have a, a starter isn't going to really last unless they can get that third pitch. They need the off-speed pitches. They need a secondary pitch to throw off batters. And, and you know, just to rely on that, I, I think that Severino, what he was lacking, I think he got, not just from Pedro Martinez, but just uh, maybe some maturity and growth. Like, you know, he's 22 years old. I don't know if I would – I don't know for sure if I would make the trade. I'd love I, – I like – on paper, I look at it and I'm like – I would do it, absolutely. But like I said before, I'm the minority here. I was all on my own. I had to, like, go and call people and be like, can you go comment on this? Because I'm, like, the only guy in town that would do this trade. Everybody's laughing at me and, like, telling me that I'm just not that bright. Mike Trout, Mike Trout. 
I'm more concerned about the fact that Mike Trout. Go ahead. I, I think that's what's making Severino such a special pitcher this year is he's pitching this year. I mean, coming in, when you first get the call, you want to overpower everyone. I mean, if you can throw 98 miles an hour, you're going to rely on that. Well, fast forward to his second season last year, what was happening? I, don't, I, I think he was fooling around too much where, you know, he was wasting pitches. He was going to that fastball high and trying to get guys to, like, go out of their comfort zone and, and, and go after pitches. They wouldn't normally do that. Well, if you're getting behind in the count, you're not going to be throwing a fastball uh, chest high or, or going outside. You're going to try to throw for a strike. That being said, in a full count like that, and you're going for a fastball down the middle, hitters are going to be sitting on that. Well, now what do you see different this year? He's going after hitters as a pitcher, not a thrower, a pitcher. He's going to get that first pitch strike. He's not going to sit there and just keep wasting fastball after fastball after fastball. He's going to get that first pitch strike there and go with something off speed, see if he can get him swinging at that. If he does, he, he's going to, again, he's going to make a pitch that is on a corner, but not necessarily completely off the plate. So I think he's being he's being uh, he's being smarter and he's being more consistent, and because of that, he's able to get through inning after inning and, and, and really, you know, uh, just keep that consistency. So he's not just being a thrower like last season. He's being a pitcher. And, God, I mean, working with a with a Hall of Famer like Pedro, that, I mean, they're similar in their talent they had in terms of their arm. They're similar in size. I mean, that's the best kind of person you can speak with. That's almost your, your, your exact uh, uh, carbon copy. I've come boost. 